Welcome back to the Unapologetic Show, lovelies, where your host, moi, helps you to navigate how to live your most authentic and unapologetic life. As a recovering people pleaser myself, I'm learning how to unpack what it means to live unapologetically, and in doing so, I want to create safe spaces for others who are on the same journey. Joining us today, we have the fabulous Colleen Warner, who is a therapist, coach, and dancer. We are so excited to have you here, Colleen. How's it going, going today? Well, I'm so excited to be here too. Really love everything that your mission is all about. So super excited to be here. All right. All right, Colleen. Well, can you describe your work as a therapist and as a coach and um, how you are helping your clients to live their most authentic lives? Yeah. So being a therapist and being a coach, there are similarities, but there are also some differences. Um, as a therapist right now, I primarily work with folks struggling with eating disorders, trauma, body image issues, also work with a lot of creatives, which is really fun because I'm a dancer myself. Um, and kind of the differences show up with um, being a therapist. Again, most of my clients are struggling with some sort of mental health condition, and I get to have the privilege of sitting down with them. And, you know, a lot of it is talking, but it is different than, you know, talking to your friend or your partner. It's being able to have this objective space where you're able to just be your most authentic self which oftentimes it can be really hard to just do that in our lives. So being able to start exploring that in therapy, and I use a number of different types of therapy and that's kind of where that comes in um, and also really like uh, involving the body in therapy. And so sometimes sessions look like us just kind of having a conversation um, and sometimes it looks like doing something more structured or sometimes bringing in workbooks or things from other books or music or even dance or yoga because I'm also a yoga teacher and therapy. We work on both the past and the present kind of depending on where clients are at, but ultimately want to be able to look at a lot of those past negative experiences to be able to look at things, especially if someone is really struggling with being their most authentic, unapologetic self, being able to look at those past things versus with coaching, because also gets back to the therapy part that I have a master's degree, and that's what allows me to work as a therapist. And that also I am provisionally licensed in the state of Tennessee, because to work as a therapist, you have to have um, licensing versus with being a coach. There are different types of trainings and accreditations and things, but legally there isn't anything you have to do in order to be a coach. And with that, you have to kind of be careful where, of course, someone who is struggling with a mental health concern can be working with a coach. But uh, in my experience, if someone is having a diagnosable mental health condition, then they need to also be working with a therapist, particularly if it's like if they're struggling with an eating disorder or something like that. But with coaching, a lot of it is really present focused and looking at like, okay, what are these specific things happening in the here and now that are getting in the way of you living your most um, authentic, true self? And not that we won't touch the past at all with coaching, but really wanting to be careful to not veer into like clinical treatment, but being like, okay, 
How can we set really clear present goals? How can we work on those things versus like, okay, maybe with a therapist, you're working on past trauma, things like that. Um, and I really, I like being able to do both because I think there's a really great place for both, especially because sometimes people have maybe done a lot of work in therapy and don't want to do therapy anymore, but want to be able to work on continuing to just live their truest self or maybe it's a situation where someone is working with a therapist but that therapist might not be super specialized in a concern they're having and it's hard for them to find someone in their area like for example sometimes i will do recovery coaching with people with eating disorders that might have a therapist that they like working with but who doesn't specialize in eating disorders and i'm able to work in conjunction there where we're able to focus on some of those present day recovery pieces um, so that is kind of some of those differences there, but really with my clients, the biggest thing is wanting it to be an open, non-judgmental space where they can try to let down some of those walls. Cause even with a therapist, it can be really hard to try to be our truest selves when so often we're told to be everything that isn't that, that we're told to be a smaller version or quieter version or more aesthetically pleasing version or whatever that is so being able to make it where okay we need to even get it where you can be comfortable being with me in the room as your therapist or coach before we can possibly make it where you're able to live your life in that way outside of therapy so that's something that's really cool especially because some of my clients come in where they're like yep i feel super comfortable being open with you maybe i'm not comfortable being open in my life but i'm cool being open with you versus there are many times where a client comes into therapy and they're like i have no idea what i'm even going to start with have no idea what this is going to look like i don't even know if i want to open up to you yet ever and so being able to see that transformation is super cool especially because how my own experiences in therapy brought me to want to do this work. And so ultimately just wanting to give my clients tools to help them really find those things inside themselves, because as a therapist, I can't, you know, fix people or completely like I can't just change people's lives as much as that would make things easier for people a lot of times but it's a lot about me being able to help people uncover those things within themselves and realize that really what they need is within them and of course yes community is super important but it's like you have everything you need inside in order to be able to live your most unapologetic self it's just a matter of finding that and sometimes we do need someone who can help us uncover that I love that, uh, Colleen. And that's actually, I, I love that you went into the, the distinguishment between, um, you know, being a therapist versus being a coach, because that was actually something that, like, I didn't know before. Um, I mean, I personally, I have a therapist that I go to, and I never consider coaching just because it I don't know. It's just not something that's talked about as much. Um, what would you, I guess, what would you say to somebody who may have a therapist like me and maybe considering getting into coaching? Like, I know obviously there is this, there's a distinction between the two, but if somebody were like saying, well, I have a therapist, but I'm kind of considering like 
I don't know, maybe I should consider a coach or not. Um, like, what are your recommendations? Yeah, there? that is a great question. And I think really depends on kind of where you're at and what you're looking for therapy for, because sometimes people are coming to therapy just because of like, hey, I feel like some things are getting in the way of me just living my fullest life. Maybe I'm having like some level of anxiety or some level of depression, but not anything where you're struggling with super specific behaviors like eating disorders or really, um, really severe depression that's getting in the way of your functioning with like work, family, things like that. Um, and with that, that sometimes you can get similar things out of coaching that you get in therapy, especially if maybe you're not struggling with something that's a diagnosable mental health condition or something like that. And also sometimes maybe your therapist has a different approach than what a coach might have. And I think at the same time, there is definitely in my work as a therapist, a lot of coaching things come in there too. So it's kind of like, coaching can't be therapy, but therapy can also have coaching aspects. And so that's something that I think is a very fine line to walk with that, um, where it's like, yeah, your therapist can have coaching aspects in their work. But if your coach is doing therapy, then that's where we get into kind of muddy waters there. Um, and so I think, yeah, it really ultimately depends kind of on where kind of like the severity clinically where your issues are at and also kind of depends on like maybe like sometimes people have they're working with their therapist on kind of their general life things but maybe like someone has a business coach or they're maybe they're a performer and they're working with a coach to help with their performance things like that or um or if they're just looking for additional support on top of what they're having of like, okay, I want another time in my week or whatever, like week, month, whatever it is where I'm having more support that I'm having with my therapist or want another perspective. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with having both a therapist and a coach or just doing therapy or just doing coaching. Um, but it is definitely, I think, easy. We kind of can get into the murky waters of sometimes coaches will tried to do therapy. And there are also like, want to make it clear, there are plenty of coaches who don't do that, um, that there are plenty of coaches who practice totally ethically and are amazing. And I think it's easy for it to veer into being something that isn't what it is, which can also be really dangerous if that person doesn't have the training. Because of course, there are people like me who have the therapy training and also do coaching, but sometimes in different coaching training programs, things like that, people veer into either working with struggles that they really shouldn't be working on alone as a coach or just veering into as far as different approaches. But I think kind of also worth having a conversation with your therapist if you do have a therapist as far as like, hey, are these types of things things you would be able to bring into our work or is this something that you think it could be helpful to have someone else who's also helping me in this process? I love that. Um, I guess for clarification's sake, just with the language that we're using, um, especially for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with coaching as a concept, um, how like how does coach the coaching that you do compare or contrast to like 
uh, life coach, which is like the word that I feel like I hear a lot more. Um, like, is it the same thing? Is it something different? Um, I'm just curious about that. Yeah. So definitely, I think a lot of similarities for sure. And I think kind of comes down to what a like a coaching client is coming to me for, because sometimes I will specifically do eating disorder recovery coaching, where it is that this person is working with a therapist, dietitian, other treatment team members. And then my place is looking at okay, what are these day-to-day -day things, your behaviors and things? How can we work on having in the moment support um, and being able to really focus concretely on those behaviors while therapist is working on other pieces? Or if that therapist isn't as specialized in eating disorders, where it's like, okay, this person is having this time with me that's very specific on that and then having time with therapists being able to work on other concerns or also sometimes with that i find it really important to collaborate with people's other providers so if i am doing recovery coaching with a client being in communication with their therapist and other providers to make sure we're all on the same page so that's a big thing but as far as otherwise like sometimes my coaching does kind of see like look like or feel like stereotypical life coaching so yeah and i think also it's so hard with i feel like with coaching becoming more popular and things that there are so many different terms and things thrown around that i think it can get very confusing to kind of know okay what is this what isn't this but yeah when i'm serving in a coach role it can very much be just kind of like what someone would view as a life coach or if i'm doing specific eating disorder recovery coaching i think that's where it looks a bit different Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I, I wanted to kind of go back to a little bit. You were talking about like um, eating disorders as basic thing that you work with a lot. Um, a couple of weeks ago in one of my um, episodes, we were talking about uh, the rise mm -hmm. of Ozempic and just like there's a lot of uh, news around like um, this kind of um, I think I forget which uh, which publication like said that heroin chic was coming back which is very problematic obviously um and it's been popping up a little bit more in mainstream media um and obviously this is a really hot topic for people who um tend to work with eating disorders or like body neutrality or body positivity um can you tell me a little bit more about how you are working with like some of your clients to stay grounded in their body image like despite this rhetoric and like how you're able to stay grounded in your own life with this because that, that, it's a it's a lot to process yeah it is so hard and i agree when i heard the and also don't remember which publication it was but when i heard the heroin chic thing i was like really like this is really who thought this was a good like a appropriate good thing to say and why is that something we're trying to aspire to exactly no exactly it's like not that it was ever a good thing but this isn't like 1992 where it's like okay like we're aware of what language is and isn't helpful appropriate like the fact that we would be aspiring for heroin sheep when heroin like just straight up kills so many people destroy so many lives it's just wild and i mean going off of that the whole yeah the rise of Olympic. i think it's so hard and have so many feelings because of course there are 
people who like legitimately use Ozempic for diabetes or something like that, where it is medically indicated. And I think it's really hard because there are so many doctors now prescribing it for weight loss. And I think people aren't fully informed as far as how it may work in their body and the side effects it may have, especially if they don't have diabetes and have had actually a number of clients who have had negative experiences or where partners or friends have had negative experiences. And of course, everyone has a different experience. But the things that I have heard as far as side effects um, just really aren't good and can really damage your body because just of how it functions and also things it does to hunger and fullness cues. Because also then if you're not going to be on this medication for your whole life, it isn't helping you find a healthy relationship with food. It may just be dulling your sense of hunger, sense of fullness, those things. And so I think it is really challenging when this is becoming so much more prevalent in the media and it's what you see constantly and hear about whatever celebrity is doing it or people suspecting that whatever celebrity is doing it, even if they're not saying that they are. And I think it is, especially for clients in larger bodies, which a lot of my clients are in larger bodies. I'm in a larger body myself. It's really hard not to succumb to that pressure, especially I've had clients where their doctors have recommended it, even though like medically, like they don't have diabetes or something where it otherwise, aside from weight loss, is clinically indicated and knowing that so much, there's so much research around weight that intentional dieting, intentional weight loss is something that isn't sustainable and isn't going to actually have the health outcomes we want. And also knowing that health isn't like just fully defined by weight. There are so many factors that play into health and also the fact that someone isn't just healthy or not healthy. Health is a spectrum. It's not like, oh, today you're fully healthy. Tomorrow you're fully not. It's this thing where it's not like this checkbox where like, oh yeah, you are under this weight and you fit into this BMI category. So yeah, you're 100% healthy. It's like people of all different sizes and shapes develop all different medical conditions. And I think oftentimes mm -hmm. it ends up also to people being ignored by doctors or told by doctors that they need to lose weight in order to help a certain condition versus how if a thin person, person in a smaller body came into a doctor's office with the same complaint would likely be a very different story. Um, and so I think really a lot of it comes down to looking at values with clients. That's a big thing I do in my work with clients is looking at, okay, what are your values? How can we clarify your values? And how are we able to make it where you're able to take actions that are in line with your values versus what society may be telling you you have to value or society telling you, okay, if you don't do this thing, you're not worthy as a human or you're just going to like die tomorrow, which unfortunately is something I'm sure you've probably seen in comment sections on folks who are in larger bodies when people are just like, just horrible things that people say that are totally also just not factually accurate. And so I think values is a huge piece. And just also being able to look at the reality and the pros and cons of like, yeah, this may be something that temporarily gives you weight loss, or we may who knows, maybe it would be something that would be a longer term thing and looking at like, okay, is it worth possibly having these damaging effects on your body? Is it worth possibly having 
these irreversible changes. And ultimately, as a therapist, I always want my clients to feel like they have agency and not that I'm trying to tell them they should or shouldn't do something or that I'm convincing them they shouldn't do something, which I think is really hard because, of course, I have my own opinions and I have things that I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't think you doing that is going to support your well-being. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, my clients' lives are their own and they're already told so many things they should or shouldn't do by external factors and never want clients to feel like, well, Colleen is saying I that me trying Ozempic isn't a good idea. I definitely shouldn't do that or she's going to like not want to work with me or is going to not like me or whatever it is. It's like ultimately it's your life at the end of the day. So if a client wants to explore that, of course, I respect any decisions they make. And I think also having to look at knowing if it's coming from a place of body image, changing your body isn't going to change your body image. And I know that myself, my body has changed all different ways at different points in my life. And I have struggled with my body image at all different sizes. And losing weight has never cured my body image struggles. So really just a lot of looking at those things underneath and looking at how unrealistic our beauty standards are and just how bullshit beauty standards are. And also that this idea that we have to be conventionally beautiful to be worthy, that we have to be aesthetically pleasing because we have so much more to offer to the world than our bodies. And so think really when we're trying to work on improving body image, it's having to look at those things internally that are holding us back and being able to just reality check. Okay, so me doing this thing is to try to meet this standard, but why am I even trying to meet that standard? What does that standard mean? What is me meeting that standard mean or not mean? And of course, it's not as easy as just being like, okay, yeah, I know that the thin ideal is stupid. Like, of course, we can logically know something and emotionally knowing that. And especially if you are someone who is in, like, in a marginalized body that that is much different like of course that i do hold privilege as a white person as a person that even though i'm in a larger body i am on the smaller end of the larger body spectrum so knowing that i do have clients that face more discrimination than i do so of course there are many people who try to do things in order to be more accepted in society and i completely understand why they do that whether it's to get care that they need or if it's to be able to get a certain role or to be just treated better by society or to be able to access more things and at the same time knowing that it's the systemic issue that is the problem it's not you that is the problem it is our system as a society that is the problem and i think it is really hard to just navigate those things because we can try to change our own minds and society is still going to say things and it's not as easy as just being like oh yeah i don't care about that yeah no absolutely like i know personally like i've definitely experienced a lot of uh, body image issues and it, it's one of those things where like logically in the back of my head you know we know better but sometimes emotionally don't always feel that way um I, I'm grateful that there are like 
more like celebrities who embody just different body sizes out there who kind of show you a little bit more of like that representation um i'm a huge lizzo fan for instance that is like definitely something that like i love i love that she's like all about that because it does validate people like me um one thing I wanted to ask about, because I know you've mentioned this on your page a few times, but um, you use the phrase body neutrality as opposed to like body positivity. Um, and I know that's just, it's just something that you don't hear as often. So I'm curious as to like your reasoning behind using body neutrality and like what that means and how that differs from body positivity. Yeah, I love that question. So for me, body neutrality, how I define that is being able to look at our bodies as a neutral thing that it doesn't have to be bad doesn't have to be good doesn't have to be something we love doesn't have to be something we hate it's being able to be like this is my body this is the body i have right now in this moment yeah my body might change at different points in my life and this is just my body just like oh it's raining outside oh it's sunny outside it's just like this is what's happening and I think this is something that resonated with me in my and continues to resonate with me in my own journey of navigating body image, of healing my relationship with my body. Because of course, not that there's anything wrong with wanting to strive to love your body. And I think sometimes it can also become just another extreme of going from like, okay, I absolutely hate my body to okay, I have to love everything about it and have to always feel amazing about my body versus body neutrality is like, okay, I'm able to be in the middle. I don't have to be despising my body. I don't have to be feeling amazing about it. And I think being able to lean into this neutrality helps us not over identify either way because, and I'm not saying by any means, if someone is posting about body love or is striving for that, that there's anything wrong. And I think sometimes it's easy to go from the narrative of either being in an eating disorder or disordered eating or just chronic dieting, whatever that is to then like, okay, I am constantly saying that like, I absolutely love how I'm looking in this outfit and my body is perfect and my body is wonderful. Um, and this kind of pressure to then be like, oh, well, I'm saying that I'm preaching body love. So if I'm not loving my body today, there must be something wrong with me versus body neutrality, just kind of being in this like just existence space where I have a body and my body doesn't define me and how that differs then from body positivity, which is something I'm really passionate about is that body positivity is a social movement that was started, I believe it was in the 1960s by fat black femmes and was really for truly marginalized bodies. And it has now been largely co-opted by thin white women, which again, this isn't to say that then white women can't struggle with their bodies or don't struggle with their bodies. People of all sizes, shapes, ages, genders, backgrounds, races, all of that struggle with their bodies and everyone's struggle with their body is worthy of support and validation. And there is the fact that different bodies are treated differently in our world. And unfortunately, it is often the case that these movements that are created for the most marginalized folks are taken over and people are saying well 
are you saying I can't be positive about my body? And I think that's the difference is that body positivity and feeling positive about your body or striving to feel positive about your body aren't the same thing. And it's something I also honestly <laughs> was didn't like and felt frustrated by when people were trying to teach it to me many years ago, because I was just like, what do you mean? Like, they're just words. And it's like, well, this was a movement that very marginalized people, especially, I mean, the 1960s was so far back when all of this work has been put in, especially back then, folks were even more marginalized then. And so oftentimes we're trying to profit off of or benefit from this work that marginalized folks did. And it's like the body acceptance movement, the body neutrality movement. There are these pl other places that aren't just social movements predominantly created for marginalized folks. And um, I think it is something that shows how important language is. Um, and again, it was something that years ago, I also was super frustrated by because I was like, why are you telling me that I can't have a space in the body positivity movement? And then I, once I heard it enough times and once I had it explained enough and had enough people very kindly put in the labor to teach me that was like, oh yeah, this isn't about like my struggles not mattering or me not being able to struggle with my body because of xyz reason it's like oh this is a space for the most marginalized folks to have their own space versus all of the other spaces in our media where it's about everybody else so that is something that um and understandably i often whenever i share that difference people still get pissed off on social media but it's like at the end of the day like this is the reality of what it is um and so yeah yeah i actually i love that you brought up the history of um body positivity i was listening to um slate magazine has a podcast called i see why am i so in case you missed it um, and I believe it was a few weeks ago, uh, they had an episode actually about the rise of Ozempic, um, and they were talking about the history of the body positivity movement. And one really intriguing thing that they brought up was how, you know, it's become a very commercial, uh, commercialized movement in recent years. But yeah, so I was uh, listening to um, Slate's I See Why Am I, in case you missed it, um, podcast, and uh, they were talking about the um, body positivity movement and the commercialization of it. And um, it's just, it's very interesting to hear the history of it. Like it was just, I don't know, I definitely would recommend giving that episode a listen because it goes into a lot of the things that you were talking about. Um, and it does kind of give like, this very interesting recap of like where it came from. So I don't know, very curious about that. So anyway, um, thank you so much for sharing that because I do think that body neutrality versus body positivity is very, um, it's a very specific language. And I love, as you said, words matter. Um, you know, I work in communications and I'm always a big fan of big believer of the fact that words do matter. Um, so I'm going to do a sharp left <laughs> for a second. Um, so just knowing that you also have a very strong social media presence um, and you tend to share a lot of like really, like I love the content you share. You share like videos of you dancing. Um, you share just like different content about mental health. 
Um, how has social media helped you to like connect with others and promote authentic authenticity in your own work and in your life? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. For me, I'm so grateful that social media has been able to be a really positive thing for me. Of course, there are the downsides of it as well, but I am really passionate about sharing about how social media doesn't have to only be a damaging space because especially super early in my own eating disorder recovery journey, being online, being on Instagram actually really helped me find a sense of community. I was able to connect with people who were also in recovery, especially because I was not, when I was early in recovery, I was not comfortable talking to basically anyone in my day-to-day -day life aside from my therapist and maybe one or two friends about what I was struggling with. And I just felt very alone, felt like people didn't get it. And when I started connecting with other people online because it felt a bit it felt a bit less i guess intimidating when it was like okay i'm not speaking these words out loud to some other person it's not someone who i'm seeing every day in class and i'm wondering how they're going to judge me it's like oh i'm messaging with this person online or i'm seeing what they're posting and i'm in their comments and it really helped me be able to normalize my own struggles and realize i wasn't alone and just find more support and honestly I've made some of my best friends through the internet. I am so grateful for that. And some of them have become IRL friends that I've been able to see them in person, whether frequently or unfortunately not so frequently when you make friends online and they live in different places, it can be hard. But for me, without those connections, I wouldn't be where I'm at in my recovery. And also how social media ultimately has, of course, like, being on social media isn't what made me a therapist by any means, but I don't think I would have found my career, don't think I would have found where I'm at without it, because so much of my journey has been documented on my social media. It's how I've made so many of the connections with nonprofits and things like that, and just other colleagues and networking through my work online. And it's also just continued over time where I continue to connect with more people. I mean, I definitely still connect with people in the mental health space and body acceptance space online these days, but also with Harry Styles. That's something where I've been able to find some really amazing friends who also love Harry Styles. So that's been really cool that I've made some super close friends from that. And I think, I mean, of course, um, the pandemic has done so many horrible things to all of us and at the same time i think being able to have online connection being able to have those things i think so many people learned the value of that starting in 2020 even more than they did before and i think also sometimes i feel like people don't view online friendships online connections as as valuable as in-person connections and while of course there is a difference when you're physically in a space with someone and i think it is Im so important to have your in-person tangible connections and there is so much value to these online spaces and having community where that's so many of my friends that I'm closest with aren't people that I see every day in my day-to-day -day life. And of course, like with so many of those people, I wish they were people that I could just see every day in person. And it's just been really life-giving being able to connect with people in that way because I have friends from all over the country, all over the world, colleagues that I've connected with 
people I've just been able to build these relationships with that I wouldn't be able to have just done even though, I mean, I'm very grateful. I grew up in New York and so grew up being able to have a lot of different resources that I could tangibly have. And still, even then, it wasn't like I was going to, especially early in recovery, feel comfortable just like, I don't know, sitting down somewhere trying to find a friend that was, I was going to connect with about that versus on social media. It's like, oh, I search whatever term and I see however many people with these accounts and I'm able to find that and even for someone even if someone isn't like oh i think i want to like make friends on here or something but even just being able to have just more media coming in that is i don't even know if i want to use the word positive but maybe like constructive or like valuable versus all of the stuff like the heroin chic bullshit that is like all of the other media so being able to create and curate our own spaces online i think is really powerful and so helpful when there is so much negative media, so much unhealthy media that we're able to build these spaces. And yeah, just so many, uh, so many of the things that I've been able to do in my life, I would have never been able to do without sharing my life on social media. And it's just really special to me and something that I am so grateful for and just so as much as of course there are definitely downsides to social media that we don't want to ignore it can very much be a both and of like yeah of course there are parts of the internet that are very much damaging and unhealthy and there are just so many parts of it that are also beautiful and wonderful at the same time yeah no i fully that fully resonates with me and i mean that's a big part of why like i wanted to get into like creating an apologetic space right like having like social media like having a community and being able to share my experiences with others and give others a space to share that with me i think was so important to me so i love that that's something that has um really resonated with you um so one thing that like I, I love, I love your love of Harry Styles because I am also a huge Harry Styles fan. Um, and you know it's funny like I, when I was um, coming up with questions for you, I was kind of playing around with like Chat GPT. I was like, oh, let's see what questions it comes up with. Um, and it actually came up with one really good question. Um, one of it, the question is, what lessons can we learn from Harry's approach to living unapologetically? And how do you incorporate that into your life? <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. No, like ChatGPT, it's wild. Like some of it is, some of it's a little bit scary. Some of it is definitely like, mm, that missed the mark. But sometimes there are, like, there have been things where I'm like, oh, like, especially that question yeah right i was like okay ai like sometimes i'm like i'm like that's that's smart like i didn't even think about that so. <laughs> no that question i love that question um and i think yeah i think he is harry is just such a great example of embodying living your most unapologetic life especially i don't know if you have had the gift of being able to go to any of his concerts but I saw him live for the first time back in January and it was just like completely as cliche as it sounds life changing that just being able to see and I was also very lucky it was the last of his LA residency shows and it was just being able to see how he puts himself out there and is just 
very clearly just having the time of his life. Like you can tell this isn't him. I mean, of course he's a performer and he's putting on a show, but you can tell it's not just, okay, I'm going through the motions. I'm performing this thing. I'm having this, whatever. It's like just him just having so much fun and just wearing what he wants to wear and just embracing that. And I think also, I think the way um, he kind of lives his life off stage, I appreciate that. I mean, of course, it's really hard because people don't like to respect celebrities' privacy, um, <clears throat> which is, I think it's challenging because, of course, I mean, myself as a fangirl, I love when I'm able to see what <laughs> celebrities like Harry Styles are doing. And I love that he is able to have kind of this difference of like, okay, this is what I do when I'm on stage. And also that he strives really hard to keep parts of his life private and i think it also shows that that doesn't have to mean that someone isn't being authentic or isn't being unapologetic it's like oh he's able to have these spaces where he's sharing that with us and he's also had a able to have those spaces where he's just sharing it with himself or just sharing it with his close friends family and so um i think it's just also just the way he shares in interviews and is super honest and is i think just really trying not trying to please any one particular category of people in any way and is just like just not giving a fuck like with things that he wears for award shows and things where people are like oh well that's like that's too feminine for a man or or even with sexuality that i think that's something and sexual orientation that i really appreciated with him is that he said like that he is unlabeled that he is not subscribing to any like he hasn't given a public label and i think a lot of times i see online and it really frustrates me that people are trying to assume whatever his sexual orientation is and it's also like that's none of our business like that's just like no one's section like no one what anyone does with that is your business and i think also goes to show that it's not a situation where it's someone like i said i think sometimes people like try to jump to defend of like well someone can be straight and wear whatever or someone can be gay and wear whatever it's like he's just living his life and not having it's not like oh you have to be in whatever sexual orientation in order to do this thing and i think also the fact that that's just another way of living unapologetically it's like of course like like for myself i do subscribe to the label of i'm bisexual and so it's not like saying that if you have a label that you can't live unapologetically and i think being able to live unlabeled is something that is another form of freedom and so i think just the way he's made it where he has these spaces where he's able to do it publicly and privately, I think is really cool. Cause not that there's anything wrong if someone wants every aspect of their life public, but I think that also gets very exhausting. And so I think just also just with his music, how it has evolved over time and how he speaks about the evolution of his music in, in interviews, as far as like with his first solo album, places where he felt like he was playing it safe because he was like, okay, this is my first time coming out of one direction of being in this boy band. I have to prove myself. And then how some of that evolved with Fine Line and then with Harry's House and how in interviews he has been like, okay, every time I look and I see these differences, I see maybe where I was playing it safe. Um, and also, and I really need to read the whole article because I've only seen little bits and pieces of it on social media now that I know 
and I forget, I don't know what outlet it was, but there was an interview with his mom that someone had interviewed his mom and she, and of course I can't remember the specific words right now, but it was more or less her saying that like with him making music, he's doing what he wants to do. It's not him trying to please a particular demographic or fit a specific genre. It's just doing and making the music he wants to do. And I think that's just something that's really cool because of course, like, I think it's great for creatives to look at, okay, what could my audience want? And I know that that's something I look at with my own social media or my own creative things. And ultimately, like, this isn't art and this is something, a form of personal expression. You should be able to do whatever the fuck you want to do, no matter who is going to approve of it or not. And I think that is something that's just so apparent through his music that he has so many different things he does with his music, so many different things he communicates. And also just, I think, how open he is about supporting people of all walks of life, all identities, and just... Um, I think that's something that also I hope anyone who is a fan of his has the opportunity to see him live because it was just totally like the way it just changed even more how I viewed his music and how even more like became even more of a fan being able to experience that and just the energy and I think the community like how he's been able to create that community the space where his fans can also feel like they can just be whoever they want to be and I know that he always says that like in his opening show speech of just like be whoever you want to be in this space like tonight whatever you want to be is okay and celebrated here because I think that's something that is I mean of course there are other artists who also create that feeling of community and I think it's just something different especially with his community and his shows that just feels so unapologetic just completely yeah no for sure I I got to see um the last night of his residency when he was in Chicago and um that was such an that was actually my first time ever seeing him live and that was an incredible experience um it was also a couple of weeks before my birthday so it's it felt like a really good like way to go into a new year for myself mine was two days after my birthday i love it i feel like you know concerts for your birthdays are always so fun <laughs> like there's there's some sort of a vibe to that um but no i absolutely agree like i feel like um and i believe the interview with um his mom might i want to say it was in the daily mail if i'm not mistaken i i think i could be wrong uh, I know also know the Daily Mail can be a little iffy sometimes. Um, so I don't I don't know if that was for sure, but I saw that clip as well. So, um, well, that is, uh, Colleen, I, I've really just enjoyed chatting with you. I mean, you have so many like really great takes on um, authenticity. And I feel like your experience as a therapist and coach just has been so insightful. Um, and I'm so excited for you know, um, people to like hear about you through this, through this episode and like to reach out to you and hopefully like connect with you because I, I think that, um, you just do such great, powerful work, um, that's very needed in the community. Um, I have, uh, just one last question before we wrap up today. Um, so, I like to ask a question at the end of um, my, uh, at the end of every episode, just kind of like seeing what people think, but um, what's something that has been filling your cup recently, or what's something that you did recently that was unapologetic? So choose your own adventure question. Yeah. So no, that is such a good one. 
Yeah. So as far as filling my cup, one thing that has been really fun, and I feel like I haven't really been sharing much of it online, and not that I need to, but I think I want to, is that I've been leaning back into more of my musical side that I grew up singing, training vocally. And so I've been leaning into more of that again, but also, and I was very much never good at piano growing up, but I did take piano lessons briefly and have wanted to relearn it for years. And my boyfriend is, he works in the music industry. He, as an audio engineer, he also plays guitar. So he's like very creative and has wanted to learn how to play piano for a bit too. So a few weeks ago, we ended up getting a electric keyboard that we have sitting in our living room now. And actually my mom sent me my old piano books from when I was a kid and I've been relearning playing piano and also playing around with trying to write music for the first time. So that's been just being able to lean into that creativity has been filling my cup. And I think, yeah, just creativity and being able to re-embrace those things that were once more of a part of my life has been really life-giving. Well, thank you again for joining us today, Colleen. Um, and just for the folks out there who may not know your uh, Instagram handle, can you share that, please? Yes, my Instagram is at Colleen M. Werner. Beautiful. And I will also include that in the show notes for anybody who wants to follow along with Colleen and her journey. Um, thank you again for joining me today, Colleen. It's been really great chatting with you. Um, and thank everybody for listening in on this chat. This has been a wonderful discussion. Um, don't forget to rate us five stars on Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast at. And I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye. Thank you.